First Corinthians chapter one verses twenty six, probably through thirty one. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every work, every yoke. Thank you, Lord, that your word is anointed. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming alongside and helping and taking together a hold together with this, with me today. And help me to spread your message, your word. Let it be you, Lord. Nothing from me, only from you. Anything from me, just clog their ears, Lord. If it's from you, plow their hearts and open their hearts and minds to receive it into the pure ground of the heart and take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. First Corinthians 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brethren. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God... And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And I have in parentheses and mean it. The sufficiency of God's grace is complete and total. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about the grace of God, how it's nothing that can be earned or achieved, and if it's, if it's anything that uh, you feel entitled to or you look at as something you've earned or that God owes you for, then it ceases to be grace. Amen. So you can't... You can't pull the grace payment out and pay in cash for your works. But you've got a credit card from God. Amen. Amen. The credit card of righteousness is grace. I'm not just talking about financial things, tangible things. I'm talking about everything that's good. In this life, there are three things in this life he's talking about here that cause men to trust or to boast in themselves. One is wisdom or education, we're talking about the wisdom of the world, or higher education. The second thing is influence, whether it's social or political. And then noble birth, he mentions here. We don't have nobility here in this country, but you get the, you get the point. There's some families. I mean, when Patty Hearst got 
kidnapped. You know, if it was if it was Patty Brocker, nobody would have heard about it. <laughs> but everything that we have is from God's the wisdom of God through the grace of God. Everything meaning our righteousness, our right standing with God, our holiness, our redemption. He's paid the price. And He's to be the one that gets the glory and the honor and the praise. Amen. Amen. The cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Even the ones that call Jesus a good man in their religions, but they stop short of calling Him God, they say, no, God would never, ever let His Son come and be treated that way. You have to understand the culture in which the times in which Paul was writing these things as well. It was the ultimate symbol of shame and degradation, the cross. The worst possible thing that could happen to be to someone in that culture in that time was to be hung on a cross and crucified. The reason Paul wasn't crucified is because he was a Roman citizen and Rome had it set up as a law that their citizens could not be crucified because they didn't want to lower the standard of Roman citizenship. They couldn't allow that. Why do I mention this? Because Galatians 6.14 Paul who... I don't have to read to you, but Paul Paul went off on a tangent one day and just let them know how much he had to boast about if he were going to boast in the flesh. He said, y'all think y'all are hot stuff? Let me tell you what I'm all about. And he gives them his, his pedigree, his resume, and it's quite impressive for that day. Wasn't it? Very impressive. And he called it all dung. All dung. (laughs) And in Galatians 6.14 he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. (coughs) The ultimate thing which represented shame and degradation, like I said, is the only thing that Paul wanted to boast about. The only thing that he would allow to his credit. Because that's how the grace of God was made available to him. Made available to you. Made available to me. Amen. Ephesians. I'm going to try not to turn there. In Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul, in his, in his normal way of doing things, he gets excited when he gets talking about the Lord. I love that about Paul. In Ephesians, the first chapter, verses 5 and 6, he starts talking about the glory of, of uh, the riches of God's grace. And then uh, the next chapter over in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, he talks about the... Well, I have to look. It says uh, the... Ephesians 1, 
5 and 6, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of the will. So the praise of His glorious grace. Okay? And then a chapter over, he mentions it again, but he, that, that, that terminology is just not good enough. He has to add more to it. First of all, it's glorious grace to the praise of His glorious grace. And then in chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, he starts talking about it again. And in... Um, In verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. It's it's extravagant, immeasurable, the riches of God's grace. Now, you see, do you get that? You pick up on those subtleties sometimes. And that's the whole theme of eternity throughout the scriptures, all the glory. For all eternity goes to God's grace through Jesus Christ. God's grace is always for God's glory. I get so frustrated. I feel like Jude sometimes when people start telling me, well, I do the best I can and the grace of God covers the rest. No, you're getting that confused with His mercy. He's merciful in not giving you what you deserve for your sin. The grace of God is what empowers you to be and to do all that He's given you to be and to do. Amen. Amen. Grace for grace. For every negative thing you've got, for your anger, Jesus has His meekness. Amen. Amen. For your lust, Jesus has purity to exchange with you. Hello. Grace for grace. And as you grow in one thing, He's prepared to level you up to another thing and exchange it. All this wonderful divine exchange has been made through the atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ through the cross. Amen. Second Corinthians verse 12, chapter 12, sorry, verses 7 through 10. Second Corinthians. Sometimes you might just need to bring a tablet and just write the scriptures down and just... Go with me, because by the time you look it up, I'm already talking about something else, and I'm afraid you missed the message. I, I get that. But I'm already accused of being long-winded and off-topic all the time anyway, so hey, let it ride. You're going to find out at the end of this message, I don't care. When God freed me from myself, He freed me from you. And that's a good thing because it frees me to love you and to serve you as I should and not to water down anything based on what I think you want to hear and are willing to tolerate. Amen? Because He deals with me first about it all. I feed you what He feeds me. And half the time I'm still in the middle of being dealt with on some of the stuff that I'm trying to let Him deal with you about. Amen? (laughs) Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll get there together though, amen. What a party it's going to be. At his table, can you imagine? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. I don't know how far away to hold this thing so I can see through these glasses. So to, so to keep me, this is Paul, this is Paul talking about how wonderful he is in his ministry. And he knows 
the amazing grace that God has bestowed upon him. He gives all the glory and all the credit to God, but he knows it's astounding. Amen? Amen. He knows what he's walking in, and it's, it's incredible. And verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. <clears throat> keep reading. Verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak... Then I'm strong. Amen. Oh my gosh. Sweet Jesus. When the grace of God is working in our lives, we're not limited to our own resources. Do you see that? That's right where you want to be. In fact, God's grace begins where our own resources end. As long as we think we can live without God, or we can do things in our own ability, our own strength, or our own wisdom. Unfortunately, we will try. And you know what? We'll fail. At some point, you're going to come to the end of you and your own resources, your own strength, your own finances, your own beauty, your own strength. You need God. And we're talking about how to learn to live and to operate and to work from that place of rest that He has provided. Amen? Amen. If you want God's grace in abundance, get yourself in a hard place. You know what that place is? Charlie will attest to this. The will of God. It's wonderful. It's beautiful, it's powerful, it's anointed, it's love, it's all the good things you can imagine. But it ain't easy. It ain't easy. You want the grace of God working in your life? You get yourself in the will of God. Those who seek me with their whole heart will find me. And then I'll show them wonderful things that they didn't know. That's what he said in Jeremiah. I want to give you an illustration. I'm not going to turn there. I'm not going to turn there. <laughs> you know the story. I might turn there. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff and I had a little conversation after recently. I, I recently talked about some of this, so I don't need to go there. You know the stories. There were two occasions... In which Jesus <laughs> fed a lot of people supernaturally. Do you remember? Yes. Okay. The first one is mentioned in all four Gospels. He feeds 5,000 men. And let's just 
Just leave it at what the Bible says. Because you know there are women and children and all that, so there's probably been 12,000 women. Let's just say 5,000, like the Bible says. 5,000 men with five loaves and two fishes, right? 5,000 with five loaves, two fishes. That's the first miracle he did with feeding people supernaturally. I'm not talking about the wine. The second time is mentioned only in uh, uh, Matthew and Mark. A couple of witnesses. Same sort of situation though. But this time, if you'll remember, there was only 4,000. Right? But what else was there? Seven loaves and a few fishes. You say, well, still, come on, man. (laughs) The point is, there was thousands of people in just a basket full of food. No? Uh, I mean, I guess... There's no difference in, unless you were uh, fourth or fifth or tenth in line in the natural. Then there would be a lot of difference, right? <laughs> the second time, the first time they picked up a dozen baskets of leftovers, didn't they? The second time, seven smaller baskets. Are you seeing something that you may have never seen in this, these two parables? The challenge was less the second time. It was still great, don't get me wrong. But everything is in here for a reason. Have you ever wondered why he mentions everything? I can talk to you all day about why there was 153 fish in the net that day where they had breakfast on the beach. God has talked to me about that, and I'm so pleased that He did. But why would He mention the number if it didn't matter? I'm not talking about that today. First, first miracle, 5,000. Five loaves, two fishes. The second, 4,000. Seven loaves and a few fishes. More, the greater provision, the smaller need. But more provision... Was given the first time when the need was greater and the situation seemed even more impossible. Do you see what I'm saying? The greater the impossibility, the greater the room for God's grace to show off and to be there in abundance. You want to walk in great grace? Put yourself in the will of God. Just say, Yes, Lord. I remember when they asked me, will you say yes to God? I'm like, I thought I already did. <laughs> I said, well, and then just like anybody, what, what do you mean? What, uh, is he going to... Uh... <laughs> I started asking some questions and they were just like, I don't know. You know, is he going to send me to a hut in Africa? Is he going to let me keep my wife? You know, is he going to do this? And, oh, I don't know. They were kind of mean about it. But they were making a point. You think you pick the person in this life that loves you the most and you multiply that by a zillion times over and that's how much your father loves you. So why not just trust him and protect him and and, and let him protect you and provide for you. Amen? Amen. He does love you. But there are some things that are required of us. If we want to participate in all the spiritual and natural laws 
that he has in place for our provision and protection. Amen. It's not a means by which we earn relationship with God. But there's still things that matter. Amen. You never want to say that anything is too big to be done. Because all things are possible with God. We want to get to a place where we're like Paul. Where we say praise God. This seems insurmountable. It really makes room for God's grace to be manifested. Amen. Amen. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, a grace gift, let him use it to serve others. I'm trying not to turn there, so I'm... It says something like that, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, if I just left it right there, I would not be incorrect. Or have to go back and change the recording. <laughs> Peter says, and I know it's in 410 because that's the first shotgun I ever owned. I remember Peter says that each one we receive gifts from God. And you know, <laughs> I've been talking about the multifaceted characteristics of God and His grace. It's like, a, and I, I, I use the example of a woman and how she knows how, but for what facets are because she knows what diamonds are. And the more facets or the more beautiful cuts that the, that, that, that craftsman has put in there, the more it catches the light and shines and sparkles. And that's the way it is with God as we dig deeper and deeper and deeper. Amen? Amen. And as God has given us all grace, the, the word there for gift is, is, is charis. The same word we use for charisma in the grace. For grace. The grace gifts that we receive were used to serve others and they are manifold. It's not that he gave you one gift to be nice to people. He gave you one gift to give out of your resources and finances. And he gave you a gift and he gave Charlie a gift to to go unto the world and have a burning desire. That's a ministry gift. But I'm talking about the grace gifts that He gives and the Holy Spirit moves. He's, he's, he's like the wind. You can see His effects, but you've never seen Him. Amen. Amen. But He can decide to use you and you and you and you and you for this, that, and the other anytime, anywhere He wants. But He needs to know that you're available and willing. Amen. Amen. That's a good part of your prayer life. By the way, Lord, here I am. I love how he calls Samuel five times, number for grace. Just little things I see in the scriptures. Ephesians 1 7, riches of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 7, the incomparable riches of God's grace. The will of God, if you're willing to accept His placement for you and His will and to live out what's rest of your life to, in the will of God, to the glory of God, with the manifested grace of God working, great grace working in your life, I want to make you a a promise. I want to tell you something. God's will will never place you 
where the grace of God will not keep you. Amen. Charlie, what's that, what's that great man of God's name? He's retired now in, in a manner of speaking, but he traveled the world with the cross. Wonderful guy. But y'all know he, he was in places in this world, war zones, bullets. That's how he'd go right up and talk to both sides. And I'm talking about places where they did not accept Christianity. Down in South America, one time they were supposed to kill him, and these guys were there to rob him and kill him. He was basically at a camp overnight in the jungle, and these guys were there, and they, their intentions were very bad. And, uh, and they ended up running for their lives from him, and he never drew a weapon or anything like that, but they saw manifested a giant angel right there behind him. It's beautiful to hear him tell these stories. You have those, Miss Norma. Amen. They're just there to serve you. All of us have those. Everyone in this life It all comes down to something when you're ministering, whether it's to the wealthy or the poor, people on the streets or people in prison, no matter what, what they really want is security. People crave and seek and fear for and strive for security. Everyone, everywhere. Am I wrong? We all have a need for security. And the world tries to offer security in many forms. Does a pretty good job in some ways, other ways not so much. We have insurance. Oh boy, do we ever have insurance. You can get insurance for anything. I remember when I was a kid, my grandma used to always say how one of those actresses had her legs uh, insured for a million dollars. And that was, a, that was like a billion back then. Insurance can be great. It can insure us in case we have an accident. Or if we have a fire or theft or things like that. It can insure you some financial relief. If those things happen, right? But it can't ensure that those things will not happen. Limited in that aspect. We have security agencies all over the world. Public agencies like the police department, which used to be respected and honored. Only so much they can do. They can respond to something. If they hear in advance about something, they can maybe try to put a stop to it. But only so much they can do. There's private security all over the world now. Many don't want us to be protected, but they can hire their own if they got enough money. We have security in airports. Call that what you want. I don't know. I guess they... They've picked up a few pocket knives and lighters. We have social security. 
<laughs> See, the older the people in the room are, they lift their head like, <laughs> don't get me started, boy. Don't get me started, boy. Yeah. It's supposed to meet the needs of, of people, though, especially the elderly, isn't it? That was what it was designed to do, you know, by the, through the government. And in some places it does a better job in some areas of life than, than other. But uh, it's supposed to pro- provide income when you're too old to work or you can't work. And, and for your health, uh, you know, when you get sick and things like that. But there's not a lot of trust in that, I, I have to say. Not not nationally or worldwide. They're, people don't have complete confidence in that. It can only do so much. Especially when you use it to spend it on other things instead of what you're supposed to invest in. <laughs> we have security and armed forces. We have the military, all the branches. We thank God for them. But... We ever look at it like this. What's security for one nation is insecurity for another. The stronger the American armed forces get, the less secure Russia is, right? (laughs) And the stronger China gets, the less secure we feel, you know. So it may offer some security, and it does. Without our armed forces, we would be in trouble, believe me. (laughs) Everybody wants a piece of this land. And there are, everyone is not a friend of God. So we thank God for them. But you get my point. There's lots of security offered in this world, but it's really not a permanent basis of any security in this life and especially for eternity, is it? (laughs) Always subject to change over time to all of those things. There's something in the Bible, the parable of the two builders. One builds his house on the rock. One builds his house on the sand. You find those stories in Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke chapter 6. You notice they both build in the same place. But one of them doesn't build his house on the rock. He builds it just on the top of the sand and it gets washed away when things get bad, doesn't it? We all know that that eternal rock is a picture of Jesus Christ. To look for the permanent, for total security, merely through human efforts and achievements, is to build your house on the sand, folks. And there's going to come a time in your experience... Where that house is going to be washed away in calamity. This is a fact. We need to build our house on God. On The foundation is, is, is our cornerstone, Jesus Christ, the rock. But God goes into even more specific detail. And he talks about the wisdom of God. And this is what I want to encourage everybody as I close today is for total security, human wisdom is totally inadequate. And as like Charlie was talking about, I've had I cannot keep up with the calls and the and the messages and things like that. I'm not asking any of you to stop sending me anything. No, I'm, I'm believe me, I have a plethora. I'm inundated with with. Uh, hour and a half messages from people and stuff like that. I can't keep up with all of it. But what I can tell you is they all say something different. 
<laughs> right? I have, I have one pastor friend that I still love and I'm still praying for him. I had to cut him loose. He's basically become a Black Panther preacher. And, yeah. I had a call from another preacher yesterday saying, oh, did you hear about this one? He's kind of gone off the deep. I said, yeah, I know. I had to cut him off about two months ago because he, I can't let someone speak those words over me and curse me like that. But there's a lot of weird stuff going on out there, folks. A lot of weird things. And listen, it's not within man to direct his own steps. I know people who scoff and laugh and what they're basing it on is the fact that they've been feeding off the trash heaps of human philosophy and education and science. I'm not against any of those things, uh, except the philosophy part. I'm not against education. I'm not against, I'm not against anyone. I love everyone. My heart breaks because I want everyone to know God. I was talking to a man last night and I said, man, he said, did you get your ticket for the lottery? He told me how many bazillions it is. And I said, oh boy, that would be helpful. He said, man, you could preach, you could preach to everybody in the whole world. I said, that's, that would be a wonderful thing. I said, but you know, man, right now, if I could just get you, right. you're a big leader in your family and in the people you know and in your community, and you have a lot of influence. And man, if I could just help you to come to know the Lord and Savior that has changed my life, it would mean everything to me. He says, oh, I don't, I don't want you hating on me for this preach. But he goes, man, I, 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 and he started telling me all that he did know. I'm talking about from Valhalla to, to, I mean, and it's, it's all just history, he says. And they've just taken it and twisted it and just changed it for this. And, and I mean, he couldn't, he was so wrong-minded, I wouldn't, I didn't even know where to start. <laughs> and so I just pray. Because it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't fix that, folks. We have to build on God's wisdom. I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from Proverbs chapter 1 in my old Bible here. You know, one of the great old preachers from... Eris passed. He's been gone for a long, long time. I don't know when Charles Spurgeon died, but it was a long time ago. He said there will come a day when the when they're in the church, there will no longer be shepherds feeding the sheep, but clowns entertaining the goats. And folks, I pray that you understand that my heart is just to help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this word is what we need. Amen. It's Amen. what we need. This is the seed of God's own word. And it goes in and it takes root. And it will bear fruit in your life if you embrace it. Amen. Amen. Chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs 1 verse 20. Starting at verse 20. This is God's warning against rejecting His wisdom. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery? 
and fools hate knowledge. If you had responded to my rebuke, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, I, in turn, will laugh at your disaster. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then you will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. This is God's offer to everyone in the entire world for his wisdom, his safety, his total security, and to be free from harm through his wisdom that he's offering up to us. Basically, just waiting and longing for us to accept him and accept his word, which is wisdom. Amen? Are you prepared to listen to the voice of wisdom for your life, offering you permanent security? Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. And I'm I'm going to close here. Matthew chapter 7. Verses 13 and 14. I want you to see something here. Y'all still with me? Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking about the golden rule. You think that this was uh, handed down... um, Some kindergarten teacher came up with the golden rule. She did not. It was Jesus. (laughs) And that's in verse 12. But in verse 13, he says, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's a hard teaching. Jesus said that. Jesus said that. We need the wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit. Jesus died and went home to be with the Father so that He could send. He said, it's good that I'm going because now He's coming. And He can be with you all, all the time, everywhere. That paraclete, the one who comes alongside, takes a hold together with you and helps you and guides you and leads you through this entire life to your final destiny with your heavenly bridegroom. There's a lot of criticism these days. A lot of scoffers. 
A lot of misrepresentation of God-loving, God-fearing people, isn't there? Yes. Does that bother you? Yes. It does. Because you know why? God is love. And, and we're created in His image and we want to be loved. It's not unnatural to want to be accepted and be loved. But be careful when the whole world loves you. That same preacher that I mentioned, Charles Spurgeon, he said that the church that is the most popular in the world is most assuredly the one most despised by God. The enemies of your emotional security, which is your soulish realm, because remember, your spirit is fine if you barely belong to Jesus. It's sealed up. you got the mind of Christ. All of the love, joy, and peace you'll ever need is right there in your born-again spirit. And you just need to learn... How to use the dipper that God has given you to draw from that well of life. Amen. Amen. We've talked about our emotional security. The ways that we deal with our fears. And worry. And discouragement. And depression. And we'll talk more about those things. How God replaces the spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. That's the transaction. That's... That's some of the ways that we, we do those. And the, the, uh, the helmet of, of hope. You say, I, I thought it was the helmet of salvation. Yeah, but in, in 1 Thessalonians uh, 5.8, he calls it the helmet of hope. Because it's the, the hope of our salvation. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope is in the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it's so imperative that he's the only one that got up out of the grave of all the religions in the world. We're the only one that offers a savior everyone else provides it through some form of works or mental ascension but now right now in this period of time and I will close here criticism and misrepresentation of the Christians in this world and I posted a thing yesterday showing all the most dangerous places in the world to live the 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 death of people for their faith and Christianity specifically has increased tremendously in 2020. Coming, <laughs> I don't want to say coming to a neighborhood near you, but if Christians stop praying, that's what we could face. But right now, one of Satan's main weapons Against God's people is the smallest member that James talks about, the tongue. Mm -hmm. And I want you to remember that. The name Satan or the devil in the New Testament means slanderer, accuser. Mm -hmm. That's what Satan is. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. He always has been. And that's what he uses. He, uses, he doesn't come personally, but he will work in the mind of a person, either knowingly or unknowingly, usually unknowingly. If they knew that they were working for the devil, they might quit. But he uses people to slander other believers. Yes. Jeremiah 18, 18. Jeremiah was a great prophet. And I love... From the very first chapter, I fell in love with Jeremiah because he was like me. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, <laughs> I can't do that. I don't want to do this. 
<laughs> but in Jeremiah 18, 18, this is a picture, a sort of a, 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 the devil shows us sometimes how he's going to come against us. And it's good to know what your enemy's going to do, isn't it? Jeremiah 18, 18 says, come, let's make plans against Jeremiah. Let's attack him with our tongues. That's how you start ruining somebody. It doesn't matter if it's fake news. If it's true or not. You say it enough. It starts sounding like the truth. If it becomes popular knowledge. If it becomes what most people believe. It becomes a pressure upon others to conform to that. What's our response supposed to be? This is important. And I really am done. Scripturally. I don't care about any answers for anything unless it's scripturally. I don't care what I have to say unless I can confirm it first with the Bible. Because I don't, I don't want you to go by what Will has to say. I want, if you say Will said this is in the Bible and I checked it out, then that's okay. <laughs> if I tell you something that doesn't line up with this, then go with this. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Matthew chapter 5. Jesus gave us an answer. Okay? And then I'm done. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 11 and 12. This is going to bless you, folks. Matthew chapter 5. This is from what's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Jesus said this. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's not a problem, folks. I mean, if you listen to what Jesus says, I like to listen to what Jesus says. I like him more than E.F. Hutton. <laughs> Nobody knows who that is anymore. It's not a problem. It's a blessing when people come against you on account of Jesus because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. Now, if it's something that you've done that's wrong and, and you're doing damage to the body of Christ anyway. That's why, that's one of the reasons we live holy, not to earn relationship with the Lord, but to protect His, His, His reputation. I knew it started with an R. <laughs> he saw me going, <laughs> He says, rejoice and be glad because your reward is great. This person doesn't even know it. Your enemies are really doing you a favor though. I'm sure they don't know it. Of course they don't know it. As long as you respond in the Spirit, after the Spirit and not in the flesh. Yeah. could read Romans chapter 8, but we won't. But it talks about living life after the Spirit. You're already in the Spirit if you're born again. But you have a choice to walk after the Spirit or walk after the flesh. You can do that. Mm -hmm. You can... 
You have nothing compelling you to sin anymore, but you can still sin with the best of them, can't you? But it's not a problem as long as you're representing Jesus, as long as you're standing for your faith, as long as you're standing for the Lord. There's a scripture that says, Am I becoming your enemy because I tell you the truth? So you just keep putting it out there. Your Christianity, your, 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 your life as a believer in Jesus Christ was never meant to be a private affair. That's right. I, I can always tell that people are religious when they tell me that. Well, that's a private thing. Well, who said who? I don't find that anywhere in here. <laughs> Precious woman I was visiting with the other day. And uh, I was... I was I was really got emotional going over to her house to, to to do another phase of her windows in her beautiful home because I just did some a few months ago and uh, had such a nice time with her and her husband and now he's gone mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, she talked about their time in the hospital and and you know and when I called her to go back over the she was down to church punching holes and I said well praise God what an honor you know. <laughs> I always do that. Anytime somebody's serving, I don't care what they're doing. Take out the trash in the church. Oh, you're blessed. But she was down there serving at the church. And, and But then she got to telling me about, about how when she was in the hospital, she says, guess who our... our uh, they send them a spiritual person or whatever, you know. But it wasn't a Christian. It was a Muslim. She goes, but hey, I figure, what the heck? I'll take whatever God I can get. I'll pray, all prayer is good, right? And I went, oh. These are Christians, folks. Probably been sitting in church her whole life, and to still think that that's an accurate statement, that scares me. You ain't going to think like that here. It's not a problem, though. Let them criticize you. I have people in my own family, kids who are supposed to honor and respect the adults and their elders and their parents. In all fairness, I'm, I'm not a... It's a step and, you know, whatever. But anyway, we have people mocking us sometimes because they believe differently. And that's Okay. I don't get down into the mud with them and argue with them because then I would be stepping out of the provision of God's grace. I pray for them because I love them. I love everybody. I don't, I don't, you know, all the division, it doesn't set us up as enemies of the people. I posted online again the other day, just as a reminder, our battle is not against flesh and blood, folks. At one time, I was just as deceived or more than anybody I know. And I would fight for it. I would, you know, I thought most Christians were hypocrites. And I thought I was a Christian. I just thought they were dumb about it. (laughs) I thought that me and him had a deal. and He was cool with everything about me. (laughs) Paul says rejoice, and I mean Jesus said rejoice and be glad because you're reaping up rewards in heaven. And the next thing I would just say is don't feel alone. I just read you a scripture about what they did to the prophets of old. That's what Jesus said. You see what they did to Jeremiah? They've been doing this forever. This is nothing new. 
If you if you try to live for God, you're going to be persecuted. If you don't ever bump into the devil, it's because you travel in the same direction. <laughs> when you're hidden in the secret place of the Most High, doesn't everyone find comfort in that Scripture? And we all go to Psalm 91 and it gives us strength and encouragement and we, it feels like a warm blanket. And it should because that's what the secret place of the Most High is. That's our salvation in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And when we... The Bible talks about how the Lord gives us a garment of salvation and a robe of righteousness. And when we run into the secret place, we're covered with that robe of righteousness. Right standing with God. In spite of all of our mistakes and inadequacies. As long as we, ha we still have faith in a Savior, Jesus Christ, we are covered in His robe of righteousness. God no longer looks at you as a sinful fallen man, he no longer sees Adam, he sees Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's a good place to be. You remember on Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus in, in Acts chapter 9? What did Jesus say to him? Paul was still spewing words of murder and, and, and death against Christians, wasn't he? And when Jesus knocked him down, he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why dost thou persecute me? Well, he hadn't done anything to Jesus. Yes, he had. Because when he does something to you, Jesus takes it personal. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are one and you are His sheep. He's the shepherd. And when somebody does something to you, when you are just trying to live for Him, He takes it personal. Let Him handle it. Amen. Amen. They're criticizing Christ's righteousness. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us and I'm done. <laughs> Second Corinthians five. Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For all, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." See, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when they protect you or or attack you. For, protect, for, for, for professing your belief and the standards of God and your belief in Jesus Christ, then they're, protect, they're attacking the righteousness of God. They're attacking Jesus Himself. And guess who's going to come to the defense of His boy? The Father. Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue rising up against you, thou shalt condemn. Amen. Listen, if there's a promise in the Bible, there's going to be a need for the promise. Amen. Don't worry about it. Let them talk. Let them scoff. Let them mock you. The more the better. Don't stop them. Let them go because you're heaping up massive rewards in heaven. 
Let it drive you into the secret place to find total security. David talked about it in Psalm 31. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, but I'm afraid of exhausting your patience. (laughs) Read Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20, and you'll see David talking about this beautiful provision of God's protection and grace and the secret place. The point is, when this comes up these days, live and show Christ. Be the love of God. You might be the only Christ that someone will ever see. It's the goodness of God that brings repentance. Don't fight back. Don't try to justify yourself. Because then you'll be exposed, you see. Then you're throwing off your robe. It's like, so you ever seen somebody getting ready to fight? They just start taking everything off. When they really should just put on... Give me that give me that pot. I'm gonna put it on my head. Yeah. But you're throwing off the robe of righteousness and you're exposing yourself to the attack of the enemy, you see? What happens when you get down in the mud and and wrestle with a pig? You both get dirty. But the pig likes it, you see. <laughs> Don't get down there with them. Let God fight your battles. Don't meet them on their own grounds. Don't fight in their ways. You're going to encounter all the negative things, but God allows them to come upon you so that it will drive you back into the shelter of the secret place of the Most High. That's the place to live and be. In His his presence, in His provision, in His peace, in His protection, in His power. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Father, thank You for this day and for this Word and for Your love and grace and mercy. Thank You, Lord, for providing us with the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness in our salvation with Jesus Christ. Thank You that we have the secret place of the Most High. We can come to that dwelling and abide in You and find protection and comfort and peace and provision. And we just love You, Lord, that You are always with us. You will never leave us or forsake us. And the world cannot hurt us, Lord. Death has lost its sting. And we will not, we will not fight the world on their own terms. We will not get into the flesh, Lord. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the devil and his minions, Lord, and his plans. And we, Lord, we have the provision and the power and the authority and the promises to thwart all the plans of the devil. Help us to populate heaven, Lord, and empty out hell. With, with souls that have come to know you and love you and walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.